Praise the Lord. I want you to go, first of all, to the book of Romans, chapter 4. Do you love the Word of God? So thankful for God's Word. My goodness, where would we be? Not here. I know that. While you're looking for Romans chapter 4, I want to read some things to you out of the book of Acts. And if you'd like to turn there with me, you can, or you can just listen. But, but listen to this. Out of the book of Acts, this is chapter 17, beginning in the first verse. We'll read these first few verses talking about Paul and on these travels that he was on. And he traveled into these cities and he would go into the synagogues of the Jews, verse 2. Then Paul, Acts 17, verse 2, then Paul, as his custom was, went into the synagogue and for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. I love the simplicity of Paul's message. And I believe it's time for you and I to come back to the simplicity of this message. What message is that? Jesus is the Christ. Now, I'm going to jump a couple of days ahead of myself here, but do you remember when Jesus had this conversation with his disciples? And he said, hey, I got a question. Who do men say that I am? What are people saying? See, Jesus couldn't Google Jesus Christ at that point in time, so he had to ask the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're this guy, some say you're that guy, you're a teacher, you're a whatever. But then he asked them a more important question. Who remembers that question? Who do you say that I am? Now, Peter, we all know Peter. We all love Peter. We love him for his success. We love him for his mistakes. We're probably a lot more like him than we want to admit sometimes. But man, Peter got this one right. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, man, I can just see it. That hand goes straight up. Ooh, 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 pick me, pick me. I know, I know this one, teacher, I know. And Jesus said, all right, Peter, who am I? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Peter, you're blessed. Blessed. Can I give you a definition of the word blessed? Not cursed. Is that too simple for you? Not cursed. How many of you would like to live not cursed? Well, where does that blessing come from? It comes from knowing who Jesus is. Now, how many of you would raise your hands, those of you who are in this congregation tonight or watching anywhere in the world, you would raise your hand and say, I agree with Peter. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? If you just knew that much, if you just knew that much, you'd be way ahead of the game. But what we tend to do is get depressed over what we don't know. We tend to get worried and anxious and depressed because we can't figure out how to get ourselves out of the mess that we got ourselves into. We can't figure out how to fix things. We can't figure out how to turn things around. Stuff's coming at us from all angles, pressured on every side. And the tendency is to get depressed when you don't know the answer. But what I'm here to say tonight is instead of getting depressed over what you don't know, you need to spend some time rejoicing over what you do know. And more appropriately, 
appropriately spending time rejoicing over who you know and who knows you. Come on, say amen if you believe this. And this was the simplicity of Paul's message. And what Jesus said to Peter was, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You're blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, in other words, nobody told you this. You did not hear this from anybody else but my Father. You got revelation from the revealer himself. Now Jesus, if you remember, talked, talked a lot about tradition. He wasn't big on tradition. You remember this? Jesus was not a big fan of tradition and religion. Matter of fact, he told the religious people, he said, look, y'all had taken all that y'all. Do y'all have y'all here? You know what y'all is? That's a paraphrase, by the way. I don't know if that's in any particular translation. But he said, y'all, y'all have taken all the power out of the word of God and you did it by your tradition. You've replaced the power and the authenticity of the word with some man-made tradition. Tradition is defined as something that is handed from one person to another. So you're either living by tradition or you're living by revelation, but it can't be both. And life only works when you're living out of revelation. What revelation? Who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. That's why Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, he said, you are Peter. And upon this rock, what rock? The rock of this revelation of who I am. I will build my church. Jesus is building the church and he's building the church. You are the church and he's building you. Oh, come on. Do you get that? He's building you. But he's going to have to have a foundation to build it on. What is that foundation? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah, but I, I, I'm sick and I need revelation on healing. There is no revelation on healing apart from Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. I need more faith for healing. There is no faith for healing without faith in the healer. You can't separate these things. And if faith has become some working of principles and some applying of steps one, two, three, and if you're really a professional Christian, there's four, five, and six, and you start applying the principles and the rules and the six steps to victory and the 12 steps to a happy marriage, and hey, look, I'm all four steps. We walk by faith. But the moment you separate principle from the person, there is no power. Are you with me? Now the thing is, I didn't mean to say any of that. Is that okay? I guess somebody needed it. All that to say, this is Paul's message. This is what Paul go, goes in here to say. And he says again in Acts chapter 17, verse 3, explaining and demonstrating. Somebody say demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. I want you to notice verse 4, what happened as the result of the simplicity of this message and the power that was on it. Verse 4, and some of them were persuaded. Some of them, he said, were 
persuaded. Come on, shout that word out loud, persuaded. persuaded. Listen to this out of the next chapter, Acts 18, verse 4. He, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Acts chapter 19. He went into the synagogue, verse 8, and spoke boldly for three months. In this other place he went for three weeks. This time it took three months, but he stuck with it. Reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Now for lack of a better term, I would say this to you. Paul was in the business of persuasion. I hope you understand what I mean by that and, and, and try to understand where I'm coming from. Maybe I should say it like this. The assignment of God on his life and the anointing on his life was present to persuade people. Here's a man who would go into a culture that he was familiar with. And he would begin to speak and he would open up the scripture and he would walk people step by step by step building on this foundation. Jesus is the Christ. And the anointing that was on those words persuaded people. Do you know what it means to persuade somebody or to be yourself persuaded? It means to adopt someone else's point of view. Adopt someone else's way of thinking. To make your own their way of thinking, their way of speaking, their way of looking at it. You used to think one way about it, but you've been persuaded and now you think another. So Paul would go into these synagogues, people who had thought one way about God, not just their lifetime, not just their parents' lifetime, not just their grandparents' lifetime. We're talking generation after generation after generation. People so deeply rooted and ingrained in what? The law. It was the law. And we're going to get into this in a moment. But Paul, by the Spirit of God and the anointing that was on his words, was persuading people. And they would adopt this new way of thinking. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. A demonstration of the Spirit of God in your life can be very persuasive. A demonstration of the power of God in your marriage can persuade you from giving up to stick it with it. Amen? Amen? He wrote to Timothy, and he said, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Do you have Romans chapter 4? I gave you about 20 minutes to find it. Did you find it yet? Romans chapter 4. All right, let's look at this, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In other words, if Abraham... If his righteousness, the gift of righteousness that God gave to this man, if God gave it to him based on his works, based on his actions, it would have been because God owed it to him. 
But God didn't owe it to him, and he certainly doesn't owe it to you. Amen? What does our father Abraham found according to the flesh? If you're justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. You can brag all day long in front of other people, I'm, I'm this good, I kept this law, I did this thing good, look at me, look at me, look at me. But when it, comes before, when, when it comes to standing in the presence of God, none of that justifies you. The only way to be justified is by this free gift called what? Somebody help me. Grace. Grace. That's the only way. And he goes on to say here in these next few verses, listen to this, verse 5. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. For just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes the righteousness, imputes righteousness apart from works. He says this in verse 7, blessed. Somebody help me. How do we define blessed? Not cursed. <laughs> not cursed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Oh, come on. Somebody say, that's me. He's talking about me. This verse, do you know you're in the Bible? This verse is about you, my friend. You're the one. You're the one he's not imputing your sins against you. You're the one he's given this gift of righteousness to. It's you. Can you see this? It's you. Now David saw this coming. He didn't get to live in it, but he saw it coming. He said, oh, mm, that guy. David operated in this ministry of the prophet, and more than once, more than a lot of times, he saw you and he saw me. More importantly, he saw Jesus. You remember when he said, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it? You know, if you want to apply that to Tuesday, that's fine. But that's not what David was talking about. David was seeing into the day of grace. That Psalm 118, in, the, in those verses that surround it, he said, open to me the gate of righteousness and I will go into it. Who is our gate of righteousness? Jesus is. David is looking at Jesus, and as he looks at Jesus and through Jesus, he sees you in this day of grace, living in this day of grace where our sins are not being held against us. We no longer have to live under the fear of death and punishment and condemnation from God. We've been free from all of it, and David goes, that's the day I want to live in. That's the day I'll rejoice when I see that day. Come on, somebody. We're living in that day. We're living in that day. Look, at, look now at verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If you take a quick time out and ask yourself, why are we in the New Testament reading about this Old Testament guy. Have you ever wondered why the Spirit of God chose to use the life of Abraham to preach what happened through Jesus? I believe this is the answer right here. Because once again, there are people that had been so 
indoctrinated doesn't even begin to describe it. It was, in, in their imagination, it was all there is to God. And it was that law. It was that law between God and man. We were separated by that law. And if I kept the law, I was blessed. But the moment I broke one of the laws, I broke them all, and I'm cursed. Thank God he gave me an animal sacrifice, so now I can get kind of clean again till tomorrow. And it was this law between God and man. So Paul, endeavoring to persuade these people has to use this man, Abraham's life, who lived 400 and some years before this law ever showed up. So what's he saying? He's saying, I got to take you back to a time when the only thing between God and man was faith. I'm taking you back to a time where there was no separation between God and the man he called righteous. There was no separation between God and the man he gave this gift to. You have right standing in my, in my presence. And the only thing between the two of them was faith. The only element to their relationship was God said, go. And Abraham said, okay. That was it. Faith in God. Can you see why he would have to use this to endeavor to persuade? To cause these people to adopt a new way of thinking. Oh, Jesus. Verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. It is of faith that it might be according to grace. Somebody say faith. faith. Now say grace. grace. I want you to keep this in mind because we're going to get to it in a few moments. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, notice this. He did not waver at the promise of God. He did not waver at the promise of God. To waver means to go forward, then to go backward. To waver is to go forward, then to go backward. It's to pause with uncertainty. It's to wonder. Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 21, read all that to bring you right here. And being fully persuaded... He was fully persuaded. Somebody say the word again, persuaded. persuaded. Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. In the opportunities that I have to share with you, I'm going to be talking to you about the fabulous life of the fully persuaded. What it means to be fully persuaded 
persuaded. Now let me throw this in here, then we'll move on with this. But if, you, if you'll remember the book of Acts chapter 26, I'm going to show you the other side of this. Paul, preaching like he did, we've already established what he said. We've already established that there's an anointing on this message. One of the things you need to take note of is that not all were persuaded. Some were persuaded. Then in Acts chapter 26, he gets hauled before King Agrippa. Do you remember this? And he starts preaching to this king. What's, what, do you, what do you guess he preaches? If Paul was to go through his uh, sermon notebook, what am I going to say to King Agrippa? Wow, I got some good ones in here. I could talk to him about uh, tithing, and I could talk to him about, uh, you know, the hundredfold return. No. What's Paul preaching to him? The same thing he preached everywhere he went. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I want you to hear what King Agrippa said to him. In Acts chapter 26, verse 28, then Agrippa said to Paul, now I, I really want you to get this picture. Here's Paul preaching, got chains around his hands. He's preaching, the anointing's on him. The Spirit of God is ready to do what the Spirit of God does. There's the anointing on the word. And in response, King Agrippa says to Paul, you almost persuade me, Paul. You almost persuade me. Let's talk about the word almost. You almost persuade me. There's a church in the, in the U.S. that my wife and I visit all the time. Actually, it was, it was her church in Branson, Missouri that she was attending, living there with her family when I met her. And we go back there all the time. Pastor Keith Moore, I know some of you are familiar with him. Pastor Keith was a, uh, he was a Bible school teacher uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma for a long time, a couple of decades, I think. And he tells this story about uh, going after class to his office and his office had a window in it and it would look out into the parking lot. And every day after class, there was this young man and this young woman that would go to the car and they'd stand outside the car and just unashamedly express their affection for one another. Is that put gentle enough for you? Very public in their display of affection. And, uh, you know, this, I guess this had happened day after day. So, so Brother Keith went out there. He thought, you know, th this is getting obnoxious. <laughs> so he, he walks out to the car, and they're doing their thing. And uh, Brother Keith walks up to him, and he says, um, Guys, can I ask you a question? Yes, Brother Keith, what is it? He said, um, Are you married? And they said, uh, 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 No, Brother Keith, but, but we're going to get married. We're going to be married. You know what gonna is? Is that too Texan for anybody in here? We are going to be married. And he said, well, uh, gonna get married is exactly the same thing as not married. I think that's wisdom, don't you? And I think any married person in here could attest to the fact that almost married is the same thing as what? Not married. Until you're married, you ain't married. Am I right? Gonna get married is the same thing as not married. 
My grandfather, Brother Kenneth Copeland, has a good friend, a man named Jesse Duplantis. You ever heard of him? All right. Well, some of you may know this about my grandfather. He's flown airplanes for 50 years, thousands and thousands of hours logged in many different kinds of airplanes. And uh, you might also know about Jesse that, that, that uh, his ministry operates their own aircraft, but he's not a pilot. He just rides in the back. But he came to my grandfather one day and he said, Brother Kenneth, guess what? Man, my pilot's been letting me come up to the cockpit. And Brother Kenneth, I can almost land my airplane. And I think there was an awkward pause before my grandfather looked at Jesse and said, Jesse, that's crashing. How many of you would like to fly with a pilot who can almost land? He's been working on it. He's getting close. You want to fly with somebody that can almost land an airplane? Why? Because almost landing is what? Not landing. It's crashing. Anybody in here have children? School-aged children. You've got kids going to school. Anybody ever a child that was in school? Can I see a quick shot? Really, like six of you? We were all children at one point. You may have to think back hard and remember that. But if you have a child, a school-aged child, how, how overjoyed would your heart be if your child came home to you and said, Mom, Dad, I almost passed. I almost passed. Aren't you proud? I barely failed. Why? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, my child's only two. He's not in school yet, but I'm thinking ahead a little bit. And if he comes to me and says, Daddy, I almost passed the third grade. I almost passed junior high. I almost graduated. What, my heart says, uh, son, almost passing is the exact same thing as what? Failing. Failing. Almost passing is not passing. Paul, you almost persuade me. Somebody help me. What is almost persuaded? It's not persuaded. And not to make this too heavy or anything, but uh, how many people are in heaven today that were almost persuaded? None. None. Now, the interesting thing about Paul and his message and preaching what he preached, and you would agree with this, to be persuasive, you must yourself first be persuaded. To be fully persuasive, you have to be fully persuaded. If you're not fully persuaded, the first time somebody comes back with some argument against what you're saying, you're done. You're done. You think, oh, well, maybe you're right. I don't know. Maybe I'm dumb. I don't know what I'm talking about. We'll just do it your way. But to be persuasive, you must be persuaded. Abraham, what was he? Fully persuaded. Now, this revelation of who Jesus is, the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's the foundation for any 
and all other revelation that you require in your life. But you must be fully persuaded. Go back to Romans chapter 4. Find out what it means to be fully persuaded. It says in verse 21, He was fully persuaded that what God had promised, He was also able to perform. What God had promised, He was also able to perform. And Abraham was convinced of that. See, so many people are persuaded. So many believers are persuaded that God is able. Would that be you? Do you believe that God is able? Yeah. You ask them anything. Can God save? Yeah, oh, I believe he can. Can God heal? Absolutely he can heal. I believe he can heal. Why? Because he's God. I believe he can. Can God deliver? Yes, yes he can. You know, he, he can do that. He's God. He's able to do that. Can God bless you so wildly and lavishly and abundantly that you don't know what to do with yourself? Well, yeah, he can do that. Wow. Yeah, God can do that. God is able to do that. But then you add this layer to it. Will he? Well, I don't know. That's up to him. You know, God is God. And in his sovereignty, he can do whatever he wants to do. What is that? Persuaded of his ability, but wavering on his will. But Abraham was fully persuaded. Watch this. He was fully persuaded that he who promised stop. What's a promise? If I come to you and make you a promise, I've just given you something. I promised you. What have I given you? I gave you my, my word. My promise to you is my word. And my promise to you reveals my will to you. God's word is God's will. And if you don't know his will, it's because you haven't looked for it. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, God can heal. I believe he's God and he's able to heal. I just don't know if he will. Then you don't know Jesus. Because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And whatever you want to know about God, you look at Jesus. Somebody turn in one of the four Gospels and find me where Jesus made somebody sick. Okay, now look and find me where he healed somebody. Just drop it open and point. <laughs> what about that day that leper came to him and said, what, if you are willing, you can make me whole. And Jesus said, what did he say? Two words, two of the most powerful words out of the mouth of Jesus, two words that you can build your life on. What did he say? I will. I will. And in a moment of time, he revealed his will to heal all men for all time. Yeah, well, the leopard prayed, 
if it be your will. Why are you praying what the leopard prayed? Say what Jesus said. You and I don't identify with the leper anymore. Our identity is hidden with Christ in God. And you can build your life on that. But you must be fully persuaded <clears throat> that he who promised is also able. Jesus had people question his will. If you're willing, you can do it. You remember the day the guy showed up, and I believe it's Mark chapter 9, and his son had uh, been struggling for his entire life since childhood. He had seizures and convulsions, and it nearly killed him more than once. And the guy said, I gave him to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything. And he turned to Jesus, and he said, If you can do anything, <coughs> excuse me, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. You want to know what Jesus said? He said, if I can, if you can believe. Jesus said, it's not a matter of whether I can. It's a matter of whether you can believe. That's what made Abraham righteous. He believed. He just believed. Now, there's something in the nature of man that doesn't really gel with that. I, I, I need to work it. I, I, need to, I need to take some steps. I need to put a process in place. I need to earn it. Don't give me no handouts. I don't take handouts. I work for what I have. If you don't take handouts, you better get another God. Our God is just handing stuff out. And it's free. I said it's free. But it's the nature of man that wants to put something in place. Well, okay, so if I do this and then I do this and then I, 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 I say these words just like this and this many times a day, then I'll be healed? Is that what you're telling me? Well, be careful. Be careful. Don't separate from the person. Don't separate the principle from the person. If the principle does not reveal Jesus to you, then there's no power in it. Come back to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come back to Jesus. Be fully persuaded of who Jesus is. I may not know much, but I know he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he can build his church on that. Amen. Come back to that. And there's something in man that just says, no, 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 no. That's too simple. That's too simple. There was a day that Jesus was preaching. And everybody got hungry, I guess. And there was a few thousand of them. And so they brought a few loaves to Jesus. You remember this. And he gave thanks. He broke it. And they just started handing it out. And it just wouldn't quit. Somebody tell me what that is. Anybody out there earn a meal that day? Anybody out there pay for a meal that day? No. But thousands upon thousands upon thousands ate freely and got full. And then Jesus left, and all the people that just got a free meal ran after him. This is Luke chapter 6, or John chapter 6. Excuse me, read it for yourself. They all chased him down. They said, hey, hey, uh, hey, J uh, Jesus. Um, they said, um, 
show us a sign that we may believe. Actually, what they said to him first, they said, we want to know how to work the works of God. Can you hear that thing coming out in man? Show me how to do this. How do you turn this thing? How do you make the, how'd you make that bread do that thing? Do, do that again with the bread. I would really like it if I never had to buy bread again. So teach me how to, teach me how to do that thing with the bread. Can you do it with butter? Does it work on beef? And you know what Jesus said to him? Your work is to believe. That's your word. As a Christian, that is the entirety of your assignment on this earth. To believe that he who promised is faithful. You want to know what they said after that? They said, well, why don't you show us a work that we may believe? And then they didn't even let him say anything. This is what they said. You know, Moses, our father, gave them manna in the desert. What are they looking for? More free food. <laughs> Do that thing Moses did. We like the food thing. Do the food thing again and we'll believe. Moses gave them free bread. You do that, we'll believe, and then we'll all go home and we'll do what you did, and nobody got to pay for food anymore. <laughs> Jesus said to them, Moses didn't give them bread from heaven. I'm bread from heaven. And then he launched into this whole sermon called, Eat My Flesh, Drink My Blood. And people said, That's weird. <laughs> They say, did he just say eat his flesh and drink his blood? I thought you said we was going to get a free meal. What's this about eat his flesh and drink his blood? You know what the Bible says? They just walked away. They walked away. Why? Couldn't believe. Jesus turned to the rest of the disciples and said, y'all going to leave too? And they said, where are we going? We got nothing left, man. This is all you. Feast on me, Jesus is saying. I'm the bread. Feast on me. Come receive from me. Come receive freely from me. Okay, Jesus, how do I do that? How, tell me the three steps to receiving from you. What six steps must I take? What confession must I say? Jesus says, stop it. Shut up. Believe. Believe. And let the life you live come out of what you believe. Be fully persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and let him build everything else on top of that. Do you believe who Jesus is? Praise the Lord. Oh, Jesus. Okay. James chapter 1. Go there with me real quick. Real quick. James chapter 1. Anybody getting anything yet tonight? James chapter 1. Sometimes I get to preach it and I can't remember where these books are. Where is James? Is it, oh, it's after Hebrews. Okay. Thank you. New Testament, I think, right? James chapter 1. We got to figure out who you are. 
Are you the almost persuaded or the fully persuaded? We are the fully persuaded. I said that a couple of days ago to a group, and I just thought, man, that would make a really good band name or something. Who are, we are the fully persuaded. <laughs> the fabulous life of the fully persuaded. I got to be honest with you, and I'll be as humble as I know to be, but folks, I'm living the fabulous life of the fully persuaded. Well, what'd you do to get there, Brother Jeremy? Can you tell us the steps you took? Yeah, here's steps one through forever. I believe. I just believe. That's all I know to tell you to do. Oh, I got a beautiful wife who's way more than what I deserve. I got a beautiful baby boy, two years old. This kid has taught me more about the Word of God than anybody else I've ever had in my life. <laughs> he can barely talk. <laughs> I'm a blessed man. What'd you do to get there? I believed that he who promised was faithful, and he who promised was also able. I believed that he wasn't holding my sins against me and that I could have a wife that was more than what I deserved. I believed that I could have a life that was more than what I deserved. Folks, I don't even like to talk about what we deserve. Quit talking about what you do or don't deserve. You don't want to have that conversation. Oh God, I don't deserve this. Just shut up. Just He knows. Just say thank you. Just say thank you. It's not about what you deserve. It's about what Jesus deserves. And you and I are getting what Jesus deserves. James chapter 1, listen to this. My brethren, verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, knowing this. You could also say it like this for the sake of our discussion tonight. Being fully persuaded that the testing of your faith produce, produces patience. Now, is it just me or did he tell us to count it all joy when you fall into a bunch of junk? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know what the, ver the word various means? You study this, you're going to find another word attached to it. Variegated. The best way I know to describe this to you is random. You ever had a day that just felt like random stuff coming your way from every direction? Monday was fine, but what happened to Tuesday? And it just seems like all hell has broken loose from the little to the big in every single direction. You can't find clean socks. Your car won't start. You walk to work and get fired. What just happened to you? This is random trials. Remember, Paul said, we are pressed on every side. You're laughing, so I guess it's not just me. You've had one of those days. 
Now, let's just put this in a little bit of perspective. I know that's a bad day, but he was writing to people who um, were living in a time where people were throwing rocks at their head trying to kill them. So I know you're having a bad day, but a little bit of perspective. You're going to be all right. All right? He's talking to people who are going through life and death, leaning a little more towards death day after day. And he said, count it all joy. Once again, if you start meditating on what you don't know, where's all this coming from? How did I get into this mess? What did I do to get myself into this? Oh, I know. I didn't do it. Somebody else did. What did you do to get me into this mess? Always somebody else's fault, right? Wrong. Okay. And you don't know where it came from. And if you don't know where it came from, you sure don't know how to get out of it. And if you keep meditating on what you don't know, there's nothing but depression waiting for you. But he said, count it all joy. How are you going to find joy? You got to go back to what you do know. Count it all joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I don't know how I got here. I don't know what to do to fix it. I don't know how to get out of it, but I do know patience is working in me. Patience is working in me. And I will let patience have its perfect work. And at the end of it, I'm going to be perfect. Complete. Lacking nothing. How did you get yourself into this mess? I don't know. You sure seem happy for somebody that don't know. I know, isn't it great? <laughs> what are you going to do about this? I have no idea. <laughs> Not a clue. What are you smiling about? I've seen the end of it, and I come out perfect. I, I come out complete. So whatever was lacking that got me into this, I come out with whatever it takes to never get into it again. I win. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, that's what you need. You're into something you don't know how to get out of. What do you need? Wisdom. You need wisdom. You need to see this thing the way God sees this thing. You need to see this, what, this, this thing the way Jesus sees it. Because he can see how you got into it. He can see how to fix it. And he can sure see how to get out of it. And on top of that, he can see how to keep you from ever getting into it again. That's what the wisdom of God will do for you. So we could say this like this. You've fallen into these trials. What's the one thing you need? The one thing you lack is wisdom. So what are we going to do about it? If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all. I am so thankful for James chapter 1, verse 5. Because in one verse, it destroys traditional religious thinking and a traditional religious mindset that has created an image of God who is withholding. A God who is angry with you. A God who is trying to teach you something. I'm so thankful that I got this disease because I learned so much. Hey, you learned because he's a teacher, but he could have taught you without that. Now I'm getting mad. All right. 
So look at what James 1, 5 does to that image of God who's withholding from you. If you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives to all liberally, generously, lavishly. You know what that means? That means God is giving to you and giving to you and giving to you. And you think, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is so wonderful. Thank you, God. I got what I needed. I, I don't need any more. You know what he says? Shut up. I got some more to give you. You're going to have to take it. Here comes some more. Here's some more wisdom. Jesus has been made unto you wisdom. And, and here's some more. Here's some more grace. Here's everything you need. Oh, God, that is, whoo, that is plenty. Thank you. Shut up. Here's some more. This is what it means to have a lavish God who gives to all liberally without reproach. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no reproach when you go to God. Every Every odd says that you got yourself into this mess. Every indication is that it was something you said or did or, or, or some mistake or missing it somewhere, missing the direction of the Lord, doing something you knew you shouldn't have done. Every indication says some way or another you got yourself into this. And people, instead of running to God, run from Him. Why? Because they think they're going to get chewed out. You know what that means? They think they're going to get reprimanded. They think they're going to get reproached. They think condemnation is waiting for them. They think God is going to say, no, you can't have this right now. You should have already had it. But you're never going to hear him say it. You are never going to hear God tell you, you ask for too much. This is who our God is. This is his character, his nature, his will. This is everything he is and has to offer. And I would love James chapter 1 verse 5 if it wasn't for verses 6 and 7. Because in verse 5, you get this God who lavishly gives and wants to give and doesn't even get mad at you for asking and just want, will bless you beyond what you asked for. But in verse 6, what do we have? Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Other translations say, let him ask in faith without wavering. Are you fully persuaded? Or almost persuaded. No wavering here. Because he who wavers is like a wave. That makes sense, doesn't it? A wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Forward, backward. Forward, backward. Oh, verse 7. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from God. Are you kidding me? I got this God whose very nature is to give to me. I have a God whose very being is love and is consumed with his desire to bless me and bless through me. 
But in verses 6 and 7, I got a guy who's got none of it. See, this flies in the face of religion. Because religion says, if God wanted me to have it, I'd have it. God in his sovereignty. If he was willing for me to have it, I would have it. Now, I know he's able to give it to me. I just don't know if he's willing. What is this? Wavering. This is almost persuaded. But somebody help me. What is almost persuaded? Not persuaded. And this man has received nothing from a God who wants to give everything. What's the problem? The problem is a breakdown in communication. The problem is a failure to communicate. I told you about little Justice, my little boy, Justice James Pearsons. When he was born about two and a half years ago, that boy, mm, he just messed everything up for the better. That kid just revolutionized our life in every imaginable way. And we love it. We'd never go back. But the strangest thing about him, when he was born and for the next, I don't know, six months, he spoke no English. For months of this kid's life, no English. Could not understand a thing in the world, this kid said. It was nothing but, that's all it was. For months, never understood a thing he said. But then there was one day, we were sitting in the kitchen my wife was feeding him at the high chair. I was standing there, and out of the clear blue nowhere, you know what this child said? Dada. Dada. My son said dada. Change my life forever. <laughs> Change my life forever. You know what I said? Say it again. <laughs> Say it again. Dada, 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 dada. My wife looked at me and I looked at her and I'm thinking, I win, I win. He said, dada. And I could not care less that everything was dada. Mama was dada. <laughs> everything in the room was dada. Just put a huge smile on my face. I think it was a day or so later, we were on a walk around our neighborhood, pushing justice in the stroller, and I heard the Lord speak up on the inside of me. I don't mean I heard some voice boom through our neighborhood. It's just that, that small voice on the inside. He said, you want to know why that pleases you? I said, why? He said, it's because your son is learning to speak your language. And immediately my heart I just saw it. I could see it in my mind. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. The failure that we're experiencing here is this breakdown in communication. When you speak with a wavering tongue, you speak in a language he does not understand. 
the only language our God speaks is faith. It's the only language he speaks and it's the only language he understands. God speaks faith. And your life and my life is to be this ongoing conversation between grace and faith. Grace and faith. Grace is everything that has come to us through Jesus. Everything. Your salvation and everything included, which is your healing, which is your abundance, which is your protection, which is your deliverance, which is your joy, your peace, your long life. It's all grace. Why? Because it came as a gift, something you could not earn. You can't earn any of it. You can't sweat for any of it. No application of one, two, three, or 300 principles will earn this gift. It has to be received by faith. Therefore, it is according to grace that it might be by faith. This conversation that we're having between grace and faith. Grace is everything that's come from God to you through Jesus. That's how you recognize it. Faith is the only appropriate response to grace. Faith unwavering. No doubting. Why? He doesn't speak doubt. He doesn't speak doubt. my home in Fort Worth, Texas. We live not too far, just 10, 12 hours maybe from the border of the United States and Mexico. We got a lot of Spanish speaking television stations. The only problem is I don't speak Spanish. So when I come across a Spanish speaking television station, it does me no good to turn it up. Right? I don't know what they're saying. What am I going to do? I know. I'll turn it up. I still don't know what they're saying. God does not speak beggar. And it's doing, no, doing you no good to turn it up. My begging's not doing anything. I know what I'll do. I'll beg louder. You know what that sounds like to him? You speak in a language he doesn't speak. But a life built on faith. Faith in Jesus. Faith in God and his word. Unwavering. And it's not hard. What is the appropriate response when somebody gives you a gift? What do you say? There you go. You've just discovered the key to the life of faith. Thank you. Thank you. The only difference is we thank him before we see it. We thank him for what he's already done in and through Jesus. 
we thank him for the finished work. We thank him in the middle of the trial for the presence of God on us and in us to pull us up out of it. We thank God and we begin to speak his language. I'll say this to you and wrap this up. That same chapter, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you read about Abraham's wife, Sarah. Let me read this to you about Sarah. Hebrews 11 had this to say about her. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past age because. So, whatever we're about to read after this, we're finding out why she bore a child. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now we know that Sarah wasn't always this way, right? What did she do when she heard the promise the first time? She laughed. What had to happen? She had to be persuaded. And when she got persuaded and came into agreement with her husband, who came into agreement with God, and he came into agreement with her, the power of God was present in that agreement. What agreement? God who promised is faithful. He who promised is able. And you are sitting in this chair because of it. Because they chose to speak the language of faith. Thank you, Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray over this congregation. We come into agreement over everyone who was watching tonight. And I thank you, Lord, for doing in our lives what you have promised you would do. Say this after me. He who promised, he who promised is faithful. Is he who promised, he who promised is, able. is able. And I am fully persuaded. Am fully persuaded. Not almost persuaded. No. Not wavering. No. Not doubting. Not uncertain. I am fully persuaded. My God is willing. My God is able. And he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. He who started this thing in me will see it through to the finish. And I believe and I receive all that Jesus has given to me in response to His grace and by my faith I say thank you.